Well, good morning. Last words. What do you say to your team if you're a coach and uh, it's the end of the season and you've experienced victories, you've gone through defeats, you've worked, you've sweated, you've argued, you've come together as a team and it's all over. What do you say? Last words. Or say you're an employee. It's the end of a long career. Um, You've been working faithfully for a business and a career and you're about ready to step into retirement at your retirement party. What do you say? Uh, to, to to sum it all up, last words. Or how about a person, a man or a woman, and they know their life is coming to an end, and their family and friends are around them. What do you say? What do you want them to know? What do you want them to remember? Last words. Today we are almost done with our immersed Bible reading experience. The last uh, several weeks we've been reading through the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. Penta five took book, five books, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And, and today we are coming to near the end of Deuteronomy. Last week, uh, Pastor Wes in, delved into the first part, but I'm delving into the last part today. And, and we don't have to guess what Moses' last words would be because we have them. They're recorded right here. Uh, several chapters of the book of Deuteronomy, uh, we see Moses express his 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 uh, his thoughts, his his message to the people of Israel, because God has told him that he's going to die soon, that he will not enter into promised land. He he has the privilege of bringing them to the edge of the promised land, but it's not for him to do that. Joshua is going to then take the baton and lead them into the promised land. So what is what is um, what is Moses going to say to the people of Israel here before he hands off the baton and and his life ends? His time as their leader ends. Well, he spends several chapters going into God's commands, reciting here are the commands, the laws that God has given you that should should guide your life together, your relationships, your worship, uh, things like of that nature. And then here in just a minute, I'm going to read from uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 30 here in chapter 30, Moses begins to bring his his speech, his address to a close. And he, he, he drives down, he drills down to what is most important in his mind. And he lays out a choice for them. He says, you have a choice. You can choose life. You can choose to follow and obey God. Or you can choose death. You can choose to go your own way. To go off in obedience or disobedience. So let's listen now to his conclusion of his speech here in, in Deuteronomy chapter 30. This command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you. And it's not beyond your reach. It's not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask who will go up to heaven and bring it down so we can hear it and obey. It is not kept beyond the sea so far away that you must ask who will cross the sea to bring it to us so we can hear it and obey. No, the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and it's in your heart so that you can obey it. So in other words, this is not something that's really difficult to understand. He's going to lay it out very clearly for them. Now, listen. Today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, his decrees and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you're about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods... 
then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Today I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. And now I call on heaven and on earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you would live, so that your descendants and you might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing your life firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land that the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's sort of like a mic drop at that point. I mean, you can hear the, you can hear the, the, the hope. You can hear the passion, the, the excitement, the, the longing from Moses for his people. He wants them so desperately to choose life. Oh, that you would choose life so that you can live. Now, a little bit of background about Moses. As we know from the scriptures, Moses was born to a Hebrew woman, uh, but he was raised by Pharaoh. He was raised as a privileged uh, child of, of Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, and he was a well-cultured and well-educated man. Uh, he had seen the slavery and the oppression of, of, of God's people. And then one day he realized that he was a Jew. And, 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 and one thing led to another, and he killed a man out of, out of anger and frustration, and he fled into the desert. At that point, God intervenes. God speaks to him, calls to him and, and through a burning bush, and he calls him to go back to Egypt and to lead his people out of slavery and then journey to the promised land. And on that journey to the promised land, Moses had seen a cycle. He'd seen a cycle. A cycle of worship and obedience, followed by a period of idolatry and rebellion and complaining. And over and over again, Moses saw how frail his people were, how prone they were to temptation, how fickle they were. And it concerned him. So here in Deuteronomy 30, this is Israel's second opportunity to enter the promised land, of course. The, the first opportunity, we recall, was, was squandered because of a lack of faith. A lack of faith that God would give them the victory, that God would come through on his promises, that God was good for his word. And because of that lack of faith, the Bible tells us that everybody who was 20 years old or older would, would, would wander in the desert for 40 years until all of them had died. And then those who were under 20 could approach the promised land with Moses and Joshua and Caleb. So Moses, he takes this opportunity to deliver his final dress and he drills down to what's most important. He says, you have a choice. Choose to love God, to serve God, to obey God. If you choose not to do that, you've made a choice. You're choosing to walk away from him, to put other things first, other gods before him. You're choosing destruction. Now, as we read through the next book of the Bible, Joshua will see that Moses' fears were well-founded because the cycle keeps repeating itself over and over. In fact, through the rest of the Old Testament, God's people are drawn away, distracted by the things of the people around them, by the nations around them. They fall into sin. God warns them through a prophet. They close their ears. They continue to choose poorly. God gives them over to their choices. And defeat and death and exile follow. And the people of Israel cry out for him, to him, confessing their sin. They ask for his mercy. They plead for his rescue. And God responds in love and compassion. Despite their track record, 
and the people fall and, they, and, they're, and they're rescued. But then as soon as they're rescued, as soon as the sun rises and sets each day, the people fall back into rebellion and sin and they repeat the cycle. Wash, rinse, repeat. Now, did the people of Israel plan on, on repeating this cycle? I mean, did they set out with a plan to kind of appease God for a while? Hey, God, get us out of this, get us out. But their intent the whole time was to go back to doing the things they wanted to do. I don't think so. I think they were sincere in their in their confession of their sin. I think they were sincere in their belief that God was good and loving and powerful and that he could save them. But what happened? Over time, and we see this happen, we have the same tendency. Over time, they began to compromise. They began to slowly slip away. One poor decision led to another poor decision, which led to another poor decision, which led to a, a change of habit, which led to a change of attitude, which led to a change of character, which led to a change of heart. And a heart that was soft and tender and inclined to God becomes hard and calloused and inclined to, to other gods and to temptation. You know, each and every day we make decisions, don't we? Dozens of decisions, what we're going to wear, where we're going to eat, um, what time to get up, what time to go to bed. Um, are we going to exercise? Are we going to veg in front of the TV? Um, we decide what our attitude is going to be, um, what we're going to do with our time, who we're going to talk to, who we won't talk to, what we're going to listen to, what we're going to look at, what we're going to think about. We make decisions all the time during the course of our day. Columbia researcher Sheena Iyengar has found that the average person makes about 70, 70 decisions every day, which is about 25,500 decisions every year, which over the course of, say, 70 years, is almost 1.8 million decisions. It's a lot of deciding. And the 20th century philosopher Albert Camus said, life is a sum of all your choices. In other words, you put all these 1.8 million choices together over 70 plus years and that's who you are. That's who you become. Our choices determine who we are, our character, and ultimately our destiny. And if that's true, when we reflect upon the choices that we make and have made and continue to make, what do our choices say about us? About who we are. About our character. About what we value, about what we put our trust in, about how we spend our time and our money, about what we worship. The Bible is crystal clear about the most important decision that we are to make. That is, what do you do with God? What do you do with Jesus Christ? Will you choose to believe and follow, to love and obey, or will you choose not to? And not making a decision is making a decision on this issue. It's crystal clear that our decision and our choice will determine our destiny. So Moses says we can choose life or death, blessing or curse. So let's look at those choices. We'll start with, with death. That's the worst choice, okay? Just so we're, up, we're clear up front. That's the bad choice. We can choose death. And what exactly does Moses mean by, by this? Is he speaking instant death, like your, your heart stops pumping and your brain stops working? There are certainly examples of swift and sudden judgment in the Old Testament up to this point in the lives of, of God's people. For example, Korah. Korah was a man who, um, uh, back in Numbers, 
He led a rebellion against Moses and, by extension, God. And Korah and those who followed him were instantly swallowed up in the ground by some sort of earthquake or sinkhole. Of course, as the Israelites are reminded, gathering together, listening to Moses, there's a grim reminder, the grim example of their parents and grandparents, right? Who rebelled against God, who didn't have faith and trust in God, who chose to go their own way. And as a result, they wandered in the desert for 40 years until they had all died. Now, we don't know what would happen if the people had refused to follow Joshua and Caleb into the promised land, if they had refused to you know, heed uh, Moses' um, words. Maybe they would have been consigned to wandering in the desert again. We don't know. But when we look at the text, it would appear that the death the people of Israel would face in the case of rebellion would have been more gradual. The accumulation of choice after choice after choice after choice. Take a look again at verse 17. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will be destroyed. And you will not live a long and good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Now, the Bible teaches us that we are created in God's image. That's one of the first things that's communicated to us in the book of Genesis. Now, because of that, that we are meant to be in a relationship with God as our creator. Jesus in John 15 tells the disciples that they are to abide in him. They are to stay connected to him like a like the branches of a grape plant due to a vine, to be unconnected to God. To be unconnected to God is self-destructive. It's life-draining. And it leads to death. So our hearts are to be aligned with God's heart because that's when we best function and when we have life as it's meant to be lived and had. There's a lie that's existed since the beginning of the human race. And the lie, it's the primary lie that Satan uses. It's the lie that God is not good, that God cannot be trusted, that God is a cosmic killjoy, that his commands are heavy, that he is keeping us from enjoying life to the full. The lie is that we're better off going our own way, serving other gods, pursuing other things, other paths, other priorities. Remember the Billy Joel song, Only the Good Die Young? A line in it says, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. There's, there's this lie out there that following God is, is boring, that squeezes the life right out of us, that God is trying to cheat us of life. But the sad irony is that when we think we're choosing life by turning away from God, the reality is we are choosing a lack of life, a life without God which ultimately leads to separation from God, death. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, Jesus has been preaching for a couple chapters at this point about what does it mean to follow God, uh, defining what sin is and, 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 and all sorts of things. And, and, and at the end, he's, he's driving down to a main point. He's driving people to a place of decision. And he uses this through, does this through contrast. Jesus holds up the example of two trees. One bears fruit, one doesn't. The one that doesn't is cut down, thrown into the fire. Two men build houses. One man builds his house on the rock. One man builds his house on the sand. One house stands, one doesn't. 
And then Jesus says there are, there are two ways, two paths, two roads. One is broad. Many are on it. It leads to destruction. One is narrow. There aren't as many people on it, but it leads to life. Now, the broad road, there's lots of room. There are many on it. It's easy to go with a crowd to go with the flow. I mean, the majority are doing this, going that direction. Then it must be the way to go. But the Bible is clear that life without God ultimately leads to our own destruction. Let's take a look at the other choice Moses offers, the choice of life. Verses 19 through 20. Choose life, Moses says, so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. He says this is the key to life. So loving God, obeying God, being in relationship with him, trusting in Jesus Christ, that's how we are saved. That's what leads to life. In John 10.10, Jesus said this, I have come that you might have life and life to the full. Another translation says, I have come that you might have abundant life. And abundance, of course, is this condition of of overflowing, like the cornucopias you see on tables, you know, with with all the fruit and the veggies and 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 the grain just kind of overflowing, being stuffed, it's overflowing. It's when you have more than you need, when you have a surplus. It's a state of plenty, a state of blessing. And that's the imagery that Jesus uses to share about the life that he came to give us when we trust in him. Now, does this mean that we're never, ever going to be in need, that we'll never be wanting as as followers of Christ? No. Look at Jesus' life, right? He suffered. He knew what it was to be hungry and thirsty. He knew what it was to be persecuted. He experienced pain. He experienced betrayal and rejection. He experienced death. We all know believers who have, who have gone through difficult and tough things in life. So Jesus obviously does not mean that we would always be in a state of bliss where every want we have is fulfilled. I mean, Jesus is not some magic genie who just fulfills our wishes. Life, abundant life, that Jesus is talking about, that God offers, is both eternal life in heaven, but also life here. Peace. And purpose and joy and love, peace that passes all understanding. Pascal, the French philosopher, wrote that we are created with a God shaped vacuum, a, a hole, a place in our soul, our heart that can only be filled with God. Augustine said that our souls are restless until they find their rest in God. We all have a need, an ache. And God himself is the answer. The problem we have is that we tend to look to fill that place in our soul, that that ache in our heart that only God can satisfy. We look to fill it with all sorts of things, but in the end, they will always leave us unsatisfied and unfulfilled. It's only by choosing God, by choosing life, that we can find true peace, true satisfaction, true joy, true purpose, where we can find forgiveness in life eternal and life abundant in this life as well. So Moses lays before the people a choice, and it's the same choice that we have today. We can choose life or we can choose death. 
We can choose to reject, to walk our own way, and we will have chosen poorly. And we will have chosen the path that leads to self-destruction. But we can choose to accept and to love and to obey and to have faith in Jesus. And we will have chosen wisely. And we will have chosen the path that leads to life. So today is the day of decision. What will you choose? Oh, that you would choose life so that you might live. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we are grateful that your word points us to the path of life. Your word shows us that we are created for a relationship with you and that we will truly be fulfilled and and find what we're looking for in you and you alone. Lord, we confess to you that so often during the course of our lives that we try to fill that need with other things. We pursue other things and, and value things that really aren't that important and, and let go of things that are eternal. So, Lord, we confess our need for you and need for forgiveness. And um, we choose life. We choose you. God, I pray for each person here today that they be settled in their hearts about this decision. And Lord, if there is, are some who are not sure where they stand, Lord, I pray that they would choose you today. That they would, in the quietness of their hearts, that they would express their, their need for forgiveness. That they would um, trust in what you've done for us, Lord Jesus, on the cross. Uh, that they would ask your mercy. That they would believe and choose you, Lord and be saved. So Lord, now as we come to the table in just a moment, we just ask that your spirit would prepare us, uh, Lord, that we would make decisions each and every day as we leave this place that would lead to life and that would honor you and please you. In Jesus' name, amen.